0: In late 2016, the Great Smoky Mountains were engulfed in an uncontrollable blaze that burned a massive amount of it to the ground. The fire raged for a month, destroying nearly 18,000 acres of forest. Nearly 2,500 buildings were utterly destroyed, and the bill for reconstruction reached $2 billion. 190 people were injured and horrifically 14, at least 14, lost their lives. And the fire is considered one of the most devastating natural disasters to occur in the Eastern side of the United States. And that horrific disaster started with a single campfire. Conditions were just right. It was extremely dry season and there was an unusually strong winds that picked up the little embers from that, wild, from that little campfire and scattered them all along the ground. But as those embers touched the dry ground and were blown around, they started other tiny little fires. And then those started tiny little fires, which then uh, uh, gathered up into bigger fires, which gathered up into bigger fires, which gathered up into this enormous blaze in a, as an uncontrollable inferno. And if you go to Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge today, you will still see the scars of that wildfire. And the tragic reality is that some of the people's lives who live in that area are scarred forever. And today what we're going to see in today's text is that slander, evil speech, and a spirit of judgmentalism in the church is a little campfire of unrighteousness set on fire by hell itself. And it can burn the whole thing to the ground, searing deep scars into those whom Jesus loves. Let's look at the text. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. These, these three words, speak evil against, is actually just one word in the Greek. And it means to slander, to defame, to try to ruin someone's reputation or talk about them in a way to harm them. It's this evil speech. It it, it could be a lie. Like you're just coming over here and you're saying, yeah, can you believe what they did? They did this thing. It's just a, a complete fabrication. Or it could be something true about that person. But your intention is to harm them, to defame them, to make them look evil and wicked in the eyes of another. It's to verbally drag their name through the mud to pollute their character with words. And who does James uh, call the church not to slander? One another, brothers. He's saying, don't slander each other. Don't slander other Christians. Don't slander the church. Why is James worried that they're gonna start slandering each other? Well, in chapter three, he's already talked about how evil the tongue is. So this is a continuation of that. But, but why does he think that this particular uh, outlet of sin is gonna, is gonna happen? Well, if you go back and read through James, you'll understand why. He's just spent about four chapters just harshly rebuking them letting, them, letting them have it over and over again, and he has not minced words. He's called them out for their selfish ambition, for their divisiveness, uh, their, their selfish desires to exalt themselves, and they're fighting and quarreling and bickering with one another, ripping the church apart, acting like the world. And James is just bringing the hammer down over and over and over again. And so it would be very tempting for them and easy to uh, start speaking evil of each other because of this. If you've ever been on like a failing sports team or or let's say you had a a group project in school or on a work team and, and you just fail, completely drop the ball and your boss or teacher or coach, whatever comes over to you and just lets you have, like that's the whole team have it. You know what that feeling is like, that temptation to be like, yeah, but, but this person over here, they did this, da, 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 and you start slandering your boss or the coach, where you start slandering each other. You, you, you try to do that so that you get off the hook. It's a self-protecting measure. And this is, and this is what, would, uh, what was going on and, and, uh, and what James predicted would happen in the church. So they would start reacting this way. And he looks at him, he says, no, don't do that. Don't slander each other. But, Why is it such a big deal? Is it really that big of a deal? Is slander really that bad? Well, the Holy Spirit, through the apostle James, says, absolutely. The verse continues. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, notice James adds something here, judging. And depending on who you are, you either hate this command or love this command. If you're someone who's very critical of others, you uh, hate this command. You, you hate the idea that you can't evaluate others uh, in, in a self-righteous way. But the ones who tend to be loose with their behavior, they love this, They're like, yeah, you can't judge me, ha ha. But what is James actually getting at here? What does he mean by judgment? Well, he's drilling down on a matter of a heart. This is a heart issue and this, is, this judgment is self-righteous, fault-finding in others. Self-righteous fault-finding in others, criticizing others so severely that you're condemning them. That's the color of this word judgment. It's a condemnation. So it's looking at a brother or sister in Christ and uh, saying self-righteously, there is no way that God has actually saved you. The problem with this is that this judgment isn't based on God's character, but your character. It's a self-referential judgment. You're thinking about yourself and, 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 and making yourself the standard of goodness. So it's like you've built this little, this little step ladder of morality, right? And you got four, you know, let, let's say yours is like four steps, okay? So, so you've built up this little uh, step ladder of morality and, and you've defined what good and right and righteous is. And this is your little stepladder. And you step up to the top of it and then you look out at everybody else and you're just a few heads higher than, higher than them on your little self-righteous morality ladder and you're going, ha, I'm better than you. Let me tell you all the reasons why you, you're, you're terrible. Let me tell you all the reasons why you're bad. This kind, and this is the kind of judgment the word, the word is railing against here. But, and I know this is going on in your heart, and your head, and in some of you, because this is exactly what happened in my heart, in my head, but aren't we supposed to judge in some way, evaluate in some way? Aren't we supposed to like, take a look at each other's lives and figure out, hey, here's where you're not following Christ. Let me, let, let me help you out. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Doesn't the Bible tell us to rebuke one another if we're in sin? And yes, it does. But the heart behind this judgment that, that James is going against here isn't evaluation, but condemnation. You're not judging another believer with the aim of helping that limping believer walk more faithfully with Jesus, you're judging them with the aim of breaking their kneecaps so that they can't. You see that difference? And with this, James starts to reveal the heart behind why slander is so evil and and this kind of judgment is so evil. Slander is the prideful pursuit of using your words to harm others, to exalt yourself. It's inherently self-centered and self-exalting. And by slandering, we feed our self-idolatry. It's the aggressive verbal expression of self-exaltation by other denunciation. You're pushing others down so that you feel better and look better in your own eyes and attempting in the eyes of others. And James explains why and how this is so dangerous for us because the one who slanders and self-righteously judges a fellow believer, look at the text. They speak evil against the law and judge the law. The Spirit is saying through James that by slandering a fellow Christian, you slander the law of God. By self-righteously judging another Christian, you self-righteously judge the law. How? Well, we gotta figure out what law James is talking about here. He's referring to the law of God in the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, the law that God gave Moses for the people. But he's talking about the law in a new covenant context. Now, if you're like, what does that mean? I have no idea. Uh, the, the new covenant uh, is the one that Jesus secured with God's people through his shed blood on the cross. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, uh, not the result of works so no one can boast. And James see the law, sees the law in the context of the teachings of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17 that he came not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them, meaning he came to complete, to finish, to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law for our sake. And he obeyed the law perfectly because we can't. And by faith in his righteousness, we get his righteousness. And this moral law is then written on our hearts by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit conforms us into the likeness of Jesus over time through the word of God. So that's, that's the context he's, he's talking about here. It's the law, it's, it's, it's the teaching of Jesus in his fulfillment of the law. So he's referring to the law of God generally, but he gets, he's actually referring to a very specific part of the law. He's honing in on a particular portion found in Leviticus 19, where God commands his people to love your neighbor as yourself. So the law is the law of love which Jesus confirmed in Matthew 22, when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When you slander a fellow believer, you call the law of God, the law of love, evil. It's not love, but hatred to slander another believer. It's a direct, unflinching violation of the law of love. So you are setting yourself as a judge over the law of God. God's word commands you not to slander, but that doesn't fit with your desire, and so you do it anyway. You therefore judge the law of love as wrong. You elevate yourself above and sit above the law. like It's like you're just sitting on the law going, yeah, that's not for me though. You're the judge of the law. You get to judge the law. You get to evaluate the draw. You're putting the law on trial and condemning it. It's the pinnacle of pride, which is the root of all sin. James continues, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Here, James brings our minds back to what he wrote in chapter one, verse 22. If you remember, I don't know, six weeks or seven weeks ago, be doers of the law, of the word and not hearers only. It's a direct reference back to that. You're to be a doer of the word, and if you're not a, being a doer of the word, judging others, slandering others, then you're a judge of the word. So when we obey the law of love that Jesus commanded, we show he's Lord, right? That he is our authority. But when we reject the law of love and slander and judge another believer, we show that Jesus isn't our authority, we are. You have offended me, so now I'm gonna let you have it. But I'm gonna let you have it over here to these people who can't do anything about it, right? And, and what we do, here's the thing, what we do, Shows what we really believe. You want to know what someone believes? Watch them. Observe them. If we say Jesus is Lord, but slander someone Jesus loves, what are we saying? Is he really our authority? Uh, a ridiculous example of this happened many years ago, right when my wife and I first got married. I was working at the Apple store uh, in Lexington, and uh, at that time, Officer Purdy, I don't do this anymore. Um, I would just drive in the left lane exclusively. Like I just got in the left lane and that's just, that was my lane. I never got in the center or right, hardly ever. Just, you know, I'm gonna pass them anyway. Might as well just, just stay there, right? The thing is, I didn't drive very fast. It was like 75 at max. So it, yeah, I'm that guy, was that guy. And, uh, and so we had this debate. She was always like, you can't do that. That's against the law. I'm like, that's a dumb law. Like, why does that law even exist? That's stupid. I'll just, you know, they can just go around me, you know? And so one day I'm driving to work And, uh, all of a sudden, you know, behind me, I'm going, oh man, I'm already late. Like, that's not good. So I pull over and the officer comes up to me, you know, he asked me, you know, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yeah, I guess I was going fast. And he's like, not really. Okay. Um, and I said, so why'd you pull me over? He said, man, I've been following you for eight miles in the left lane. And I I don't just being dumb, I was like, like, huh, you know what? My wife's been telling me that for years. I guess guess she's right, huh? He didn't think that was cute at all. Uh, Thankfully, he didn't give me a ticket because I don't know, he had pity on me or something for being a a dumb person. Um, but, but, But I still, even after that moment, I think I even called you, I don't remember. And I was just like, this just happened and it's dumb, but you're right. I just needed you to know that. And then, you know, hung up and got to work. So I judged the law. I thought that law's dumb, but let me tell you what. The law didn't care what I thought about the law. The law is the law. I thought I I was above the law, that I was right and it was wrong. And therefore, instead of being a doer of the law and getting into the middle lane, I put myself in the judge's seat. But that's not how it works. God's word is God's word, regardless of our opinion of it. So when we come to something we don't like in God's word, it's not the word that needs to change, it's we that need to change. But, us throwing out the law of love by slandering our fellow believers is not just an infraction against this like distant, cold law that's just kind of out there, right? No, it's a rebellion against God himself. Let's keep looking in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is He who is able to save and destroy. There's only one lawgiver and judge. God, the ultimate authority, gave us his word. The law... The word has a lawgiver, and it's the holy God of heaven who owns every molecule that flies around in the universe. And he alone has the authority to judge right from wrong, righteous from unrighteous. Everything God does is good and right. It's not as if righteousness and goodness are these concepts over here or these characteristics over here and God has attained them, right? It's that what he does is Right? He is righteousness. He is goodness. And therefore, everything he does is good. Everything he commands is good. And he's commanded us to love one another. Slander is not love, it's hatred, pure and simple. Love, Pastor Jeremy, uh, I don't know if he came up with the definition, but he said it over and over and over and over again. It's just drilled in my head. Love is doing another good no matter what it costs you. And slander is doing harm to another no matter what it costs them. Far from being loving, slander is verbal hatred stemming from a hateful heart. When you slander your brother or sister in Christ, you are not only judging God's law, saying the law is wrong, you're elevating yourself above the law giver, acting as God's judge. God, I know you say I shouldn't slander that person, but you're wrong on this one. Do you know how much they've hurt me? Do you know how stupid they're being right now? Don't you know how recklessly they're living? Don't you know how sinful they are? And he goes, yes, way more than you do. I know how sinful they are. But he alone has the authority, righteousness, and power to judge, not you, because he's the one who can save and destroy. Here's the thing. God and God alone has the power to save whom he will and not save whom he will, okay? And he has chosen to save and has the power to save. Jesus Christ, the son of God, left his eternal royal throne and stepped into time, clothing himself in humanity to perfectly obey all that the father told him to do as a man, flesh and blood, fulfilling the law of God on our behalf. And he was mocked, ridiculed, slandered, spit upon and beaten because of our sin. He had his flesh ripped from his body and something like railroad ties hammered through his hands and his feet onto a splintering board of wood, lifted up high, crucified for all to see him in our wickedness. He displayed physically what our sin looks like spiritually. And people jeered at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. Come on down, buddy. But more than all this, more than all the physical and emotional pain from people, he exhausted the anger that God has against us for our sin. And on that cross, God unleashed his anger, his wrath on the son, treating his son as the king of all sinners, the sinner of all sinners, the sinner's sinner. And the agony of that moment is not understandable for us. He took on hell on the, cross. the father turning his face away from the son. Think about this. I don't know how to explain eternity because I don't even understand it, but forever, God the father and God the son were in perfect love and unity in everything. And the father turns his face away from the son. It's the first time Jesus had ever experienced something so horrific. And it caused him to scream out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? but he did it for all who would believe in him because he loves them fiercely with an aggressive love. And when he said, it is finished, his work was done and he gave up his life and he died. But we know the story and we get used to the story. We shouldn't get used to the story. It's wild. Three days later, blood started recoursing through his veins and neurons started firing in his brain again and his heart remembered its beat. And he got up and walked out of his tomb, walking out of the grave, proving he is who he says he is, the son of God. And now for all who believe that he is who he says he is and trust in what he's done for them, they're forgiven of their sin and he gives them new life. No longer does God see them as sinner and wicked, but as righteous and holy and good. This is the way that God saves. And it's the only way that God saves. And if you're a Christian here today, it's the way you were saved. Wasn't anything you did, it wasn't because you're so great and wonderful and special. It's because God loved you. Why? Because He did. Because He does. That's it. So when you look at someone else in the church and you condemn them with your words, slander them, judge them, you spit on the gospel of life. You're saying that the gospel is true for you, but not for them. And James responds Who are you to judge your neighbor? The answer is nobody. I'm nobody. Self-righteous judgment of another believer is pride upon pride. If Jesus condescended from his throne of glory to serve you and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, how foolish is it to exalt yourself by tearing down someone he died to save? We dare not condemn who God has pardoned. We dare not called damned, who God calls redeemed. So we have to be careful with our words. We have to be careful with the way we talk to and about each other. Is there room in this church to deal with each other's sin? Yes, absolutely. We have to call each other out when we sin, but we have to remember... That we do it as those who are Christ righteous, not self-righteous. We must confront sin in love, not in self-righteous condemnation. And you know, if you've been on the receiving end of a godly rebuke versus an ungodly rebuke, you, you know the difference. You know and you see it. If let's say you're hiking along a mountain and your friend who's ahead of you is just being a goofball, and they're right on the on the edge of the cliff, like you know, just being ridiculous or whatever they're tiptoeing on the edge of a cliff it is not unloving for you to scream at them get away from the cliff what are you doing that's not unloving right when just a few days ago we were out playing in the side yard uh and we were cleaning out the van and the boys were supposed to be watching uh Josiah that's our youngest he's one just over one I don't know you got when you got four it's hard to remember how old they are um and and that kid um he just loves to do the worst thing he can do right now. Like just wherever he's not supposed to go, that's what he likes to do. Whatever drawer he's not supposed to open, that's when he wants to open. That's where he's at right now. And so we're outside playing and I look over at, at my boys and I go, hey, where's Josiah? I don't, I don't see him. And they're like, well, I don't know. Perfect. So I look around and I'm like, and, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out where he is. And I look and he's right, I'm talking like he's basically in the road, but he's right by the road playing in this puddle. And where we live the main street that comes in, which is the one that we live on, uh, our, some of our neighbors like to act like it's a drag strip. Like they just fly. I'm talking like, sick, no joke, 60 miles an hour down that road. And so it is extremely dangerous. And I freak out and I sprint over to him. And I, I mean, I, I wasn't thinking like, come here, baby. No, like he's gonna get hit by a car. So I pick him up real quick. I look at him like, no, don't do that. Trying to get to him. This is so dangerous. But my motivation was not hatred of my son. It was to save his life. It's love, motivated by love. I want my son to live. Slander and self-righteous judgment doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring gospel life. It snuffs out the gospel truth in others' lives because you're at the center of it. And we just have to get to a point where we realize that slander is the dialect of the devil. It's the language of worldliness. And the problem is that it's everywhere all the time it's, when I say it's the language of of the world, like it, we, we probably do it all the time. We don't even know it. Think think about this. Think about the way we talk about politicians. Scripture calls us to pray for politicians. And I'm good. I don't, I, you know what? I prayed for, for uh, our president and governor this morning because I was convicted about it after this example, right? That's the, but but like, it's been a minute since I prayed for a politician. Normally what I say about those who are up in power is uh, not God help them. It's, Different. (laughs) The same. (laughs) When you're in the teachers' lounge in the break room, what are you saying about the other teachers, the administration, the 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 uh, the boss, right? The 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 new thing that corporate's bringing down that just doesn't make any sense. Gosh, they're so stupid. Don't they know what our life is like? How about when the coach pulls your kid out of the game, and you don't go and directly deal with the coach? You turn to the parent and you go, he has no idea what he's doing. He's so stupid. Can you believe this? And honestly, they're probably sitting there going, actually, I do believe it. He's not very good. You know, your son, that is not the coach. It's so easy. It's so easy. And this happened and this, and if we're not careful, this can happen in the church, um, a leader or somebody in the church makes a decision, you don't like it, you disagree with it, and instead of going to the leader to talk about it, to, get, to gain understanding or to disagree, you get in your BFG and you murmur about it and you set up a little fire right there every time. Every time that happens. Somebody offends you because they did something you don't like in the kids' area or, or whatever. They didn't show up to serve at access. Instead of going and dealing with it, right, you just murmur, Meh. Just little yip-yips, little yip-yaps, you know. Those are little fires because we don't, and the reason we do that, it's so easy because we don't think it's a big deal. We treat it, we treat slander with kid gloves. We think it's just a little murmur, just a slip of the tongue, but Eve thought it was just a little bite, okay? We aren't considering what kind of blaze we could cause by slandering our brother or sister in Christ. And God says, when you slander your brother, you set yourself as a judge over his law of love that you know better and that your desire matters more than God's. And you start a new campfire every time you do it. So what are we gonna do about it? When slander rises up, either from your mouth or another's, snuff it out. Stomp on those coals. Just say, no, 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 we're not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. When you open your mouth and those slanderous words start to slip out, you shut your mouth. I was gonna use a different phrase, but my wife wisely told me some people get offended by that. Stop talking. Apologize. And then go to the person you're concerned about or that you have a problem with and deal with it directly. And here's the clincher, with love, seeking reconciliation, okay? This isn't a, you've offended me, I'm gonna let you have it. It's, hey, you've sinned against me and and we need to reconcile this because you're my brother, you're my sister. We gotta figure this out. And the wild thing about slander is that it breeds slander. You're in a conflict with another church member, so you slander them. Well, that breeds more conflict. So then it's more slander happens. Well, that breeds conflict. So then more slander happens. And on and on and on and on it goes. And, And it comes to these unreconciled personal conflicts that tear a church apart. Instead of direct confrontation with the goal of reconciliation, we vomit slander about the other person to win people to your side, right? And then the conflict becomes us versus them battle with folks taking sides, Half the time, people don't even know what they're fighting about. Before you know it, that small ember of conflict can set the whole church ablaze, leading to the exact kind of selfish fighting that James warns about and rails against just a few verses back. The root of it is pride. Instead of God being glorified through your humble speech, you want yourself to be glorified and displayed as right. I'm right. But remember, God opposes the proud. It gives grace to the humble. So it's not just you against this other person when you're doing this, it's you against God. And that's not a fight you're gonna win. The problem with slander is that it's so easy. A guy that I knew in college, he was in ministry now. I saw just the other day, he started a new YouTube channel, like ministry oriented towards uh, worship and helping the church understand worship. And this is what happened to my heart. This is just how, how sinful I can be. I, I saw it and I went, man, this is like the 10th, Ministry. This guy has started, and he just doesn't finish anything. Like it's just another failed attempt. That's wrong on its face, right? But then I was standing there, and my wife was in was in the living room. I was in the kitchen, and I turned, and I and I it, I went. I started a sentence of just like, "Hey, this guy," and it just stopped. This was like Friday, okay? <laughs> I stopped, and this scripture. Hit me like a ton of bricks. And this question popped up, why? Why do you feel the need right now to defame this brother? This, thank God the word constrained me. Because this guy loves Jesus, loves the church, loves his family, serves, serves the church faithfully. He wants to see people know Jesus and wants to build the church up. What's wrong with that? So he started 10 things, great. It's all it is, is self-righteous, self-exaltation and pride. It's wicked. And this is the sickness that James is dealing with here. So here's the here's reality. When you slander your brother or sister in Christ, you lie about who they are in Christ. Unredeemed, unforgiven, unfit for the kingdom, unloved by God, useless, hopeless, and hell-bound. When you slander your brother or sister in Christ, you spit the song of the serpent and you adopt the accent of the accuser, the devil himself, and you lie like the father of lies. And may we not be those people who speak with a, de- with a devilish dialect. Okay, here's the encouraging part. <laughs> There's really good news. Because on the cross, Jesus was slandered for your sake. He was called a liar a slanderer. He was accused of slandering the law of God because he claimed himself to be God. But no lie ever slipped from his mouth. Not once, not even a hint of a lie, because he is the truth and the life. His claim to be God in flesh was true and verified by his resurrection. And now the one who is slandered by his own people sits at the right hand of God. And if you put your faith in him, if you trust in his righteousness, not your own, He will intercede before the Father on your behalf and he will not slander you before the Father. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ to save you from your sin, Jesus says this about you. Listen, you're forgiven. You're set free from sin. You're righteous. You're going to rise from the grave and you are deeply loved by God. If you're in Christ, the father doesn't slander you. No longer does he say, get away from me, you wicked. He says, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Let this truth be what flows from our mouths, okay? May we not have evil speech, but gospel speech. And let our prayer be that this place be be a wildfire not of gossip and slander, but of spirit-filled gospel talk. And if your mouth is a campfire, let it be one not of hatred and self-righteousness, but of love and Christ's righteousness to spread the gospel from here to the ends of the earth."